0: So we'll start, and we're going to start this episode a little unusual, which is it's episode 52, so it is the final episode of the first year of You Don't Have to Yell. And for those listening, of course, I have the data monkey Mike with me today uh, as we cap off the end of every month with. In addition, I have a very special guest. I have the big Gino himself, my producer Jason Putney here with us do you want to say hi jason hello there thanks for having me on dan
1: it's always a pleasure to be on with the one and only dan sally
0: yeah yeah so here's what i'm thinking so normally we do that intro with the you know with quality attack and we have the bass and all that i'm thinking you want to just do the intro right now just like this in a world something 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 i don't even know what i say yeah say something about like twix or something like that or snickers can you put snickers in there Twix is crunchy and gooey. <laughs> All right, that's great. That's great. So this is episode 52 of You Don't Have to Yell. Uh, no music today because uh, I planned this poorly. And uh, Jason has just enough time to edit this in order for us to get it out on Thursday. It's also, Mike, I have to say, having Jason here to me, it's, it, it almost feels like the first time I had a beer in front of my dad. You know, like every time I say an uh or say something he has to edit out, I'm feeling like I, I, I'm feeling a little self-conscious. It's a good
2: thing we're not doing it in person then, Dan. Then you can kind of have the awkward side glance when you're when you're kind of and you bow your head a little bit as you're thinking about the uh, the uh reprimanding look of having now caused him more work to do.
0: Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you can't
1: see me as I'm shaking my head back and forth. No, I'm kidding.
0: I can't tell you how many episodes I've been on where I was like, Jason is absolutely going to kill me for this. Oh, No, like, no. No? No? Like oh, there's no there's, of course not. I mean, okay No, Dan, he's gonna kill me. Yes. <laughs> you're the one who's fucking it all up. So I guess keeping this current, you both know I drove and for those listening, I, I drove back from Tampa, Florida this weekend to Boston. Uh so pretty much we had planned a trip we'd planned a vacation in Florida because we knew you could drive there. Um, Our vacation started right when Florida was becoming the most terrible place in America to be. And then we left right as Boston was getting worse. So it was really timed well. Um, So, yeah. So we drove thirteen, no, 1,400 miles, four kids um, through red America, purple America, blue America, uh, which I'll I'll get to in a bit but the most interesting thing happened was on, on the way on the way up uh we had booked a hotel room in Richmond Virginia uh for Saturday night because that's kind of like a little over the halfway point so we figured we you know go a little we do a little over halfway and then we have a smaller ride um do you guys have any idea did you guys keep up with what went on in Richmond on Saturday or no uh actually no so basically So we were driving along. We're going down the main drag uh, of Richmond hotels right there. And we have been driving now for 13 hours. Uh, It is 1030. The kids are absolutely spent. And I get to a four way intersection. I'm at a red light. And all I have to do is take a left in my hotels there. And on the opposite side, I see all these bicyclists start to weave their way through traffic and kind of stop at the red light. And so, and it looked like there was a crowd behind them. And at first I thought it was one of those night rides. I don't know if you've ever seen it where a bunch of bicyclists get together and kind of ride in cities at night. Uh, But then I started to realize, okay, no, some of these people are on foot. And then I was like, oh shit, like this is, this is a protest. It's a protest march going like, and they are stopping right at this red light. And yeah, and it wasn't even I didn't even care about the protest. It was just my kids were going to go bonkers if I had to sit and wait in that car any longer, you know, and I didn't know. How, yeah, yeah. And I don't know how long it was going to be. And it's like, like, I think there used to be this uh, walk for breast cancer that used to go right by my house. My, and uh, and like God, God helped me if I had to go to the supermarket or something on the breast cancer walk day because I couldn't get out of my driveway. And it was just kind of like, I felt the same way there. It's like, yeah, you know, I support the cause and everything, but, you know, I just want to get, I just want to get to my room, you know, like, but there was no way.
2: When when, when one of your kids was like, dad, I really, really need to go to the bathroom. They weren't going to, they weren't going to accept, but we have to wait for these people to exercise their constitutional
0: right to. Absolutely not. No, no. And now to, to make it all worse, uh, you know, so four kids. One of them has sensory processing disorder, which for those of you who've never been familiar with it, what it effectively means is that different things like smells and touches can really like put you in the red. And one of this kid's triggers are seatbelts. So we literally have to wrap the seatbelt in a bathrobe so he'll put it on. And so he's been in a seatbelt now for over 12 hours and he's like, and he's doing a great job, but he's going to lose his shit if we can't get around that corner as quickly as possible and now then i've got my daughter who is extremely uh pro black lives matter and vocal about it and then my son i've got four kids so i can say this and they'll remain anonymous and my and one of my sons has become like an all lives matter guy so i've got this melange of personalities in the car. And like I said, all I want to do is get across that street, uh, get across that street and get into the hotel before anyone opens their mouth. And so, yeah, so we ended up, so I'm sitting there, the light turns green, and the protesters waved me across, which I was so thankful for. And so I, you know, pulled into the hotel and you know, just watched them go by. And, um, and it, on the whole, it was fairly, pe- I mean, they were stopping traffic, but on the whole, it was, it was fairly peaceful. Um, there was one pop that sounded like a, you know, I wasn't sure if it was a firecracker or if it was a tear gas canister or a gunshot or whatever, but nobody else like seemed phased by it. You know, nobody like none of the people working at the hotel. Nobody seemed phased by it at all. So I just figured maybe this had been going on, like this had been a weekly occurrence or whatnot. Um, and so the next day, we were on our way out, and we uh, we ended up taking a different route to get coffee. And we drove by this memorial to Jefferson Davis. Do you guys know who Jefferson Davis is? No one. Okay. Uh, Jefferson. Yeah, I, I know the name. It's not coming to me right now. Jefferson Davis was the one and only president of the Confederate States of America. Okay. I so
2: should have known that answer, Dan. Did you just yeah. ask that question to reveal how how uninformed I, I'm uh, trying?
0: To I'm trying to establish uh, the high horse I sit on with the audience right now. Yeah. So Jefferson Davis was the president of the Confederacy. There was a monument to him. It's spray painted top to bottom, and the only thing I could think of was it looked like uh, like the Berlin Wall look before it fell down. And so, you know, I took a little picture and I thought, I thought it was cool. You know, it was like history was sort of happening right there. And then we left. And then as we're, you know, as we're driving up uh, 95, uh, Sarah, my wife, you know, she's checking Facebook. And she sees people start sharing these stories about like, quote unquote riots in Portland or in uh, riots in uh, Richmond. And you know, what I saw was far from a riot. Uh, but I guess all that graffiti and everything happened that night. Like it happened the night we were there. And I, I guess part of the reason I started off with this story is because I drove down to Florida, which is if any of you have watched the news at all I mean, effectively it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's being sort of cast as, as, you know, it's being sort of cast as the scene to contagion in a way. Um, and, and, and if you, you know, if you were to again watch, uh, the news or watch certain outlets, you would think Richmond was in flames, but I was well, in both. Plus,
1: plus Richmond is only, you know, an hour and I'm, I'm down the road from there. I'm in the, I'm the neighbor to the South and Richmond is only an hour and a half from Charlottesville. So I think things are still inflamed, even from, from years ago.
0: Oh yeah, of course, of course. And I think it just goes to show that we all have to kind of get out of our bubbles here a bit. And granted, I'm not advising anybody travel to Florida. You know, I'm not advising anybody like can continue with life as normal in the sense of either COVID or race relations. But what I am saying is that these are problems we can deal with and we don't have to induce panic attacks over it. You know, you know it's
2: kind of the way I've sort of thought about the Portland reporting, right? Yeah. I mean,
0: we get these sort of,
2: you know, someone takes a cell phone video of like someone breaking a window. And then post it to the internet and like somehow that's now all of Portland. Yes. Right? It's just windows being smashed everywhere, right? You're like, I I doubt that's an accurate representation because I certainly don't hear it from the people I know who live in Portland are not sending me emails being like, it's a, (laughs) riots in the streets here. Yes.
0: Yes. hundred percent. You are a hundred percent right. And I think- Um, and, and, and I, and this is something too, that I guess you're getting into something I've picked up as I've continued to do this show and continue to talk with more people across the country and people who are experts in different fields and so on is that, you know, what I see is a, a system that functions on crisis or a system that almost where, where party has changed from in a lot of ways what you believe in to what you fear you know because because i look at like i look at the people who are most concerned about portland or most concerned about chicago for example right they don't live in portland or chicago right like chicago isn't asking for washington to send federal law enforcement to pacify the gangs they're not voting that way Right, and Portland isn't asking for them either, you know. And to, to kind of turn that on its head, right? the The Affordable Care Act, just as just as an example, something that I I back, and I'm a and I'm generally, I think, did more more good than harm. But you know what? There were places that weren't asking for it, and and I I, I feel like there is this tendency now to assume that if part of the country isn't subscribing to your view of how things are in your region, that they're wrong. And maybe they're just people as smart as you, people as well-informed as you who just are dealing with different conditions on the ground.
2: Yeah. I think, you know? you, I, think I like the way you f- frame that, right? Because, you know, to come back to my Portland example, right? The, um, you know, they've got, we've got sort of federal agents that have been dispatched, to portland right that are um supposedly i mean at least what you would hear like kind of driving around the city and in in some cases not really identifying themselves in some cases potentially detaining people um that that would theoretically i think be be somewhat unconstitutional and if these are dispatched by the federal government on behalf of this what is the you know where where like where are all the the Second Amendment people and the and you know the the Federalists I guess I'm saying to your point Dan there there no longer is really sort of the any any consistency of the underlying beliefs hundred percent about, about rights being trampled on right like wearing a mask is like somehow now that's my rights being trampled on on some un you know unknown constitutional right that I have to not wear a mask or something yeah versus like then dispatching federal troops into a state uh, when they've been asked not to to then uh either harass or potentially detain people who are um in some case maybe causing some damage but in a lot of cases maybe just protesting yeah uh and but that but you you're a states rights person who and liberty person but that's somehow okay you know, like I, I guess I, I'm I'm confused by there doesn't seem to be any logical through line anymore to any of this. It's more about to your point. It's more just about demonizing the other side and and, and creating a list of things to fear about them.
1: Yeah, and 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 your guests, since this is kind of like our year in review kind of yeah. show, um, your guests have really hide- highlighted uh, a bunch of poignant differences among the regions. Yeah. Um, and there's a bunch of them too, but one of them, for example, is uh religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, see I, see, I think people on the coasts, certain parts of the Northeast and certain parts of California forget that there are other parts of the country out there. And just because, and vice versa. And just because we u- use the same currency and speak the same language, it doesn't mean we live in the, live the same lives. Mm-hmm. So for, for religion, it's kind of like, Religious people from the Northeast and California, um, you could say, may not take it as seriously. You could generalize and say that as as people in the South. Yeah. And there's the old joke, you know, do you know what the difference is between a preacher in the North and the preacher in the South? The, the Northern preacher says, there ain't no hell. And the Southern preacher says, the hell there ain't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And... So you had Jeff Gregory on as a guest not long ago, mm-hmm. and the importance he placed on going to church really, really spoke with me, uh, even putting my own beliefs aside. Yeah. But I respect, I re- respect the tradition, and, it, and I see that it's good for the, for the community. You know, everyone puts on their Sunday best, shares common purpose, and it really sets the tone for their week. On Sunday mornings up north, people are sleeping in with a hangover from the night before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that's just one of the many, you know, guns is another one. I could talk about that too, but
0: yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: there, there, there are many differences. Yeah.
0: Well, and that, that was probably one of the more interesting episodes for me. Uh, again, for those of you who hadn't heard, haven't heard it, Jeff Gregory uh, is the Constitution party candidate for North Carolina's fifth congressional district and he was, he said something really interesting. And this was before the uh, protests, before George Floyd was killed, before the protests erupted and everything, which is he basically said that he was kind of treating COVID almost like 9 11 in a way. And he said it is better to have a disaster where people die, such as 9 11, than it is to preemptively curtail someone's rights. To prevent it, and so again to put that in the context of COVID, it is better to allow people to go to church and put their own lives at risk than it is to curtail the rights of uh, the rights of worship or the freedom of religion. And I, I kind of you know it sat with me. I mean, I didn't, I, I still didn't agree with it. Obviously, there's something really fundamental in me that says you know this is a serious thing. We ought to stay home on and on. However if the government had come along on September 10th, 2001, and said, you know, we're going to need to monitor this, you're going to need to take your shoes off before you get on the plane, on and on, I wouldn't have been cool with that. And so I think I think there's, there's a legit point there. And again, if we look at the response to the murder of George Floyd, you know, no one was saying don't go out and exercise your right to protest. And again, I agree with that. Um, but I, I do think the two kind of go hand in hand for whether you agree with me or not you know I do think I do think if you know if 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 we truly are a country that's going to say you know what the government is not going to step in in this case, we've got to kind of accept the consequences um,
2: yeah you know? I, think, I think the argument right would be that um, to twofold right that letting people take sort of their own quote personal risk, is one, because of the infectious nature of a virus, like you're not just taking the risk yourself, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're going to expose other people to it. Um, and, but again, even if you take that out of it and said, well, all the, you know, all these people went to the same place together, so they all knew they were at risk and, and maybe their families all you know, support that decision. And so therefore uh, it is what it is you, you've externalized some cost to the system as well. Right. So it's almost like the only true like intellectually consistent way to do that would be to say, fine, if you choose to go to do this, feel free to, but then if you do that, you, um, have to put your name on a list to not be treated for a ventilator. If like, if one is not available. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that yeah, you sure opted out of like the healthcare system now supporting you if you've actively taken this risk, right? Because or- there's an externality there where you say, like, well, I, I want to do what I want to do and I don't want anyone to tell me not to do it. That's all fine. But then if you show in an emergency emer- show up in the emergency room and you can't breathe because you're in stages of COVID, like later stages of a severe case of it, then what do we do with that? Mm-hmm. Right because now yeah. you're going to now cost resources to the rest of the system for that. So I don't know. I, it it it's raises some interesting questions because, but it's something that you and I touched on, I think on, on, on our calls, Dan, when we were talking about, you know, how much I was puzzled by the pro the, you know, the sort of the health uh, public health community sort of seemingly um, endorsing going to the protests, which I thought was a bit, you know, hypocritical if you were going to not let people, get together for worship but then you're gonna let them get together or you endorse getting together for protests I it, only because there just seemed to be no consistent through line around the risks
0: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and and I I think it, it you know it the 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 problem that comes up too is I do feel like um and and Jason you could probably maybe speak to this better than I can, mm-hmm. but I I feel like folks, let's just call it red America for lack of a better word. Sure. You know, right. more, more conservative leaning folks. I feel like they feel a bit browbeaten. Is that oh. fair? Oh, definitely. There was a guy yeah.
1: behind me. I was at Starbucks with my daughter on Saturday and there was a yeah. guy who was talking to, he appeared to be having a date with a girlfriend. It appeared to be like a first or second date. And I overheard him and he proudly said, yeah, I'm a redneck. Mm-hmm. And and uh, yeah, I, I see that as as somebody who's in the middle myself. I follow I follow as far as let's say as far as alternative media, not the not the not the mainstream media, but as far as alternative media, um, independent reporters and blogs and that kind of thing. I follow people on the left and the right, yeah. and I would say both sides are complaining a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, some gripes are legitimate; some are not. But it is very, very true that um, the people on the right feel browbeaten, which is a good word to use, and they feel threatened. But then again, people on the left do too. I mean, because you know, if you live out in the, if you live, if you're a conservative, if you you live out in the sticks, let's say, in in a poor rural area, and there isn't much of a social safety net, this gets into the differences between concern, the fundamental differences between the left and the right. If you're out in the sticks in a rural area, there's not much of a safety net in your town. You learn not to rely on the system because there isn't one. Mm-hmm. And conservatives tend to be very focused on safety and have a respect for tradition. And that kind of causes them to move slowly when it comes to societal change, just like their yeah. town. Just like their town moves slowly, you see? So it's it's really interesting to me how um, how uh, heavily the demographic uh, not demographic the, the the geographic regions uh influence uh, people's political decisions
0: yeah oh yeah. and and I would say the divide as i've seen it starts is becoming more you know rural and urban or densely populated and less um, but the the interesting thing that I saw in Florida and and obviously like I consumed all sorts of data uh, on what was going on in Florida before I went. Uh, one of my kids is a diabetic. I can't make a mistake here. Uh, and for mental health reasons, I had to get out of town. Absolutely. Uh, there was a better chance of stress killing me than COVID before I left. Um, but Mike, you and I talked about this in the last episode, you know, in looking at the data on Florida during the peak, during the peak in Massachusetts, I should say, so during the peak March, April, when everybody was scared of it, right? Um, If you look at the Sunbelt states, the cases were not outrageous. They just did not see that same spike. And I think some of the friction to things like wearing a mask to the severity of the virus i think the hard stance that folks in regions affected by it took on what other states should be doing almost stiffened the opposition in a way so now there's all this disinformation out there because there's just going to be disinformation you if you want to believe anything google it you will find a case you know but um but I think it almost made people more hardened in their stance. And so now, you know, again, the Sunbelt has been here and nothing but doom and gloom. And now they really have to worry, right? But it's not as effective anymore because they've basically gotten this shock treatment for uh, a couple months. And uh, and I think I said this on a prior episode, what I've noticed in the arc of uh, covid especially in Southern regions is it starts to happen right around people, right around the time people would start turning on the air conditioning, you know? So right about the time everybody's clustered indoors and in, enclosed in environments is when it spikes and vice versa, you know, and, and, and circulating contrast, the same air. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And in contrast, you look at when it hit the Northeast, it was when it was cold, you know, the instant people started opening their windows, all of a sudden it, and it, of course we had taken some precautions. Um, but I, I, I do see that, I mean, I, I do see that as as, as, as as part of the problem. I, I just, I don't think we have, um, I, I think there's a great mistrust for folks who think differently. And I think there is a tendency not to assume that they know how to act in their own best interests. Just so, just like uh, you'll hear conservative media talk about the homeless problem yeah. in L.A., or yeah. uh, you know, it's it's the same thing. It's like they just they they can't understand how somebody might think and act differently. I don't know if anybody has a comment on that, but that's just kind of
2: no. But I think it's interesting because I what what the way I'm thinking about it is um, you know there's sort of two concepts that I, I want to put together here. One is sort of the concept of, of of boundary of analysis. The other is we call like the narcissism of small differences, right? Mm-hmm. They say like. I don't know if you've ever heard of the concept of the narcissism of small differences, but it's just, you know, that you can agree on 99% of the same things, but it's the 1% you disagree on that that can lead to incredible, you know, um, uh, fights, right? And that's it. And that's where the people are most of the most
0: vocal, right? Yes. So I think in the- Anyone who's married will understand that.
2: (laughs) And so- um, I guess that's where, and so I'm thinking of the boundary of analysis because it's just the point being that I think we divide along certain lines and forget and lose track of the fact that, like, perhaps the things that we're fighting about are actually a very small percentage of the total things we probably actually agree on, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Like, you know, it's like you can fight over, you know, should schools be locally financed or publicly financed or federal financed, or we can come up with all different sort of things that you, you know, public schools versus charter schools or whatever. But can you all agree that we want, we want children to be educated and you want them to be prepared for the world, right? Like, you know what I mean? So we, we sent to structure the boundary, the analysis in such a way that it emphasizes these differences that we get the most um, sort of vehemently opposed to each other. Yes. Yes, um, and sort of, and run roughshod over sort of the common humanity a lot of times.
0: Yeah, I you know, getting back to Jeff Gregory and uh, the guest that was on the episode after him, Nathaniel Lane. Uh, again, Jeff Gregory, exceptionally conservative. Nathaniel Lane is the chair of the Ohio Green Party, so on the opposite end of the spectrum. And the thing I found the most interesting is they both agreed on the same economic problems, like they both were in they both were very much in agreement on what the problem was and they just had entirely different ways of, of, of getting there. Um, I think,
1: I think people agree on a lot. They, they, like the, it's just the the same end result, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just we disagree on how to get there.
0: I think. Yeah. But I, I think the, the other interesting thing that I've seen, and again, in, in doing this podcast, I've started to uh, get looped into Third-party social media circles. So, for example, I get updates from Texas libertarians. I get updates from the Green Party, um, and you start to understand uh, uh, what positions are are based are are really based in either the Democrats or the Republicans trying to get you to hate the other party. And which ones are real? So, a, a great example is again if we take Portland as a as a case. There, um, Green Party, Libertarian Party, both dead against the sending of federal law enforcement into Portland or into Chicago, right? Dead against it. Um, and so, it, it, in my mind, I, I think that that kind of edifies the the thesis of this whole podcast, which is the current. Two party system sets up a dynamic where all you need to do is be better than that other person. And so now what we have is we have people who are either voting for Trump because they're afraid the cities they don't live in are going to fall into chaos. You know, so all they see are, are pictures of like, you know, Wendy's on fire and people breaking windows. And they just assume that's what all the cities look like and so they're going to vote for Trump to keep that from happening to keep their neighborhood from turning into that and on the flip side people are going to vote for Biden just cuz they don't want Trump like i don't see i i i i see zero enthusiastic biden supporters i see a lot of people who are very enthusiastic about not having trump in office yeah and i think it's there's a great uh great meme i saw which it's which is uh it's it's a biden bumper sticker and it says Biden not my first choice but let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that sums up 2020.
2: I I'm going to I'm going to really date myself but uh there was uh you know do you remember Bloom County which was the Oh yeah, um, the comic strip years ago and this goes yeah. back to went back he he made this comic strip back in the um the Era, you know Reagan, right? So was the when this came out, and it was when Reagan was running for re-election, and they uh, they, they were running Mondale um, against him. The Democrats had Mondale and go up against him, and. Uh, and I remember the, the the strip was that this person from the Democratic Party convention accidentally wanders into what they had like the Meadow Party, which was that the Bloom, Bloom County that they were running, having their own political party that they were running. Yes. And uh, and the guy says, "Oh, sorry, you're this is the Meadow Party." He's like, "Oh, what what do you guys have to run against Reagan?" And the guy and he goes like, "Well, we're running a penguin and a dead cat." And mm-hmm. the guy just is like, "Yeah, all right." And shrugs and just walks in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's kind of like yeah all right i just uh i I don't want that so i guess i'll 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 take whatever the other option is
0: yeah and that's i mean that is that this is more how autocracies function than how democracies function in my mind like what does an autocracy do an autocracy has enemies of the state you know we need to adhere we need to follow this leader because otherwise everything falls apart that is the language of autocracy.
1: Yeah.
0: And and I think we willingly stepped into it. And I, I I mean, and I think we're all just hoping that you know, this new leader will come in and everything will kind of balance itself. I don't, you know, I don't I don't think that's the case. I think people were just as crazy when Obama was in office. You know, I, I, I shouldn't say I don't think the government was as crazy, but I think people were crazy. I think people had some kooky views, you know, and, um, and I, I think I'm not going to say that a, a multi-party system would stop people from believing dumb shit. I think that's way too hopeful, uh, but I do believe it would make it a lot harder for you to run for office on that.
2: Yeah. I mean, cause what's the estimate? I mean, what's the estimate they're talking about that there could be as many, how many? what were the number of uh, representatives that uh, are QAnon believers that could be in office after? Yes. Or, I mean, we've had a couple discussions about conspiracy theories and my view that these are just the way that, um, you know, people who are having a hard time understanding a complicated world need simple narratives. And so they have to have a through line that, you know, uh, it, it, that gives uh you know an individual or a cabal of individuals like omnipotent power to manipulate things in order to understand what's happening around yeah them, right um and yet you know so that's now gone mainstream enough that there are actual like representatives who are off to washington to find
0: out whether q is a real thing i mean for real that is right? the- are we really doing that that is so dumb that is the dumbest thing like you work in the same body with somebody who sits on a foreign intelligence committee you couldn't just go and ask them yeah you know (laughs) yeah like seriously
2: but 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 this. i mean i don't i don't know how to even approach this but isn't the whole idea that then they wouldn't believe it because they would just it's like self-reinforcing Belief that like, well, the intelligence committee has been corrupted. I mean, they're trafficking
0: in children. Around, (laughs) I mean, oh, that's it. That's it. Well, we have grown. We have adults, adults who believed in PizzaGate. Yeah, adults. I saw an adult again, an adult like with a job, with a Facebook profile using his real name, (laughs) post. A an advertisement for an upcoming Glenn Beck episode that talked about the way Black Lives Matter, Muslims, and Communists were co conspiring to bring down America. Mm. Of course. Cause why not why not just throw the communists in there? Yeah, you know, I mean, sure. it's like well, if you we
2: want to capture a, a large enough uh, demographic of age groups. Well, so yeah, you, you want to because... make sure you throw the communists in, because that would be sort of the boomers, and then you want to throw in sort of uh, you know nine eleven for the Gen Xers, yeah. uh, and then we'll do Black Lives Matters for the for the right wing Gen
0: Gen Y. It, Gen, yeah, like you know. if the race <laughs> if the racism didn't get you, hopefully the specter of the Soviet Union will. Yeah, <laughs> um, and in you fact, know, they're working together. But again, like this is somebody like put this is somebody it's on their Facebook profile and and the person like doesn't seem to be very discriminate about who he friends and he doesn't have a and he has a job that would be negatively affected by by posting stuff like that. And
1: they make children.
0: They breed. They make children. They make chill- and on top of that, he, all of his status updates are in all caps, so it looks like he's like yelling, yeah. At yelling, yelling, yeah, yelling. yeah, rah, 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 rah. yeah. But the crazy, I mean, it's it's just bonkers, yeah, well, and, it's- and 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 again, like like I'm, I, I I do think you know Mike to your point, it's a lot more fun and a lot more reassuring to think that you just know. Oh yeah, you know. I mean, yeah well, i mean the
2: the president's a bit of a poster child for that right he's just he oh. I mean there's been any number of you know accounts uh you know documenting that he blows off briefings doesn't read material that he's given he just kind of responds to whatever's been you know said in his vicinity and then he gathers through some collection of television and people talking around him he collects some view and then you know he's got just decides what's uh, what's the right answer. Yeah. Um it's no no need for nuance or actual, you know, trying to ask some probing questions to try to get to, you know, the reality. Just kind of just make it up make it make it a tough decision based on some random stuff that you heard.
1: It, it would it would be interesting to hear his story. You know how Dan you said it's you think yeah. be, you think people are crazy till you hear hear their story and where they came from and their background and it would be interesting to find out how he got to where he is.
0: Yeah. I mean, I do think he's crazy. But um uh, but now now to be fair, John, who was last week's episode, uh, he's somebody who shares some you know, some fairly incendiary stuff. Uh it's usually about like right now, it's about how Black Lives Matter is tied in with as a communist, I can't remember, but it's basically the whole idea that like, you know, Black Lives Matter is this George Soros funded uh initiative to, I don't know, I don't know what they think George Soros is going to do.
1: Well, more correctly, it's act, it's act blue, not George Soros, but anyway, oh, go on. Oh, yeah.
0: act blue, anyway. that's right. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, and it's just like, and that's like kind of is, that's John's response to everything. And, and, and we actually, I started this podcast specifically because I got into this interminably long conversation with John on climate change. And I realized that we both had enough information backing up our claim that we could feasibly spend the rest of our lives arguing about it and never reach a conclusion. <laughs> you know, and it, it, was, it was a
1: great guest, though.
0: Yeah, I know. And, and the thing is, is like how he got there, how, how he got to the point where he was so fearful of the Democrats made sense to me. That's the thing. Like, I got why he was angry you know i got why he was angry and and to an extent i think with everyone i've spoken with i get why they're there like i get how they got there and i think the issue is that the parties leverage that you know i mean if yeah i i think
2: we're i think you're right dan but i think we're i think the difference between say someone like me and someone like John is his his view led him to being afraid of democrats right and yeah. some people, it leads them to being afraid of Republicans. And I think yeah. maybe this speaks to the audience you're trying to get at. Or they, they both scare me at this point. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't, like, I, I don't, I can't get on board with most of what either one of them want to do anymore. Like, so, yeah. <laughs> um, like looking for a, an alternative here.
0: Yeah. I, I do think a lot of it is about incentive structures. You know, I do think like politicians are going to do certain things, right? If you go to multi-party democracies, if you go to democracies that function much better than ours, there is still corruption. There is still the same sliminess that people affiliate with politics. Like it still exists. It's just rewarded differently, So, Mm -hmm. for example, in a system, especially the proportional system, which is really what I'm pushing for here, in a system that allocates their representatives to parliament proportionately, there is no value to negative campaigning. There's very little value to that, because if you tell somebody that party A is the downfall of us all, well, they've still got parties C, D, and E to vote for. They don't have to vote for you.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's not just you know, the demonizing the other opponent in order to to just get them to you know be afraid of them. Um, yeah. point, I was going to mention something because like you know Charlie Munger, does that name you, you guys know who that is?
0: It ring. You're you're going to Jefferson Davis me here. I am. Ring, I had to get you back, then. All I mean, right, you <laughs>
2: caught me flat footed on Jefferson Davis. You I had son here, of a I bitch. Had to come back and, <laughs> and get you with one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Charlie Munger is the sort of silent partner at Berkshire Hathaway. Um, behind okay. Warren Buffett, right. Warren Buffett is the captain kangaroo of capitalism. And everybody knows like his, yeah. you know, his cute little avuncular face. And that shows up on TV and, and talks about yeah. investing and stuff. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, he's like the most like, you know, opportunistic bloodthirsty investor there is, but, <laughs> but he does a really nice job with his PR. Um, yeah. but the guy behind him, uh, is Charlie Munger who's kind of the silent partner. He's the sort of number two guy who's been his a long time, um, friend partner, you know, um, Sorry, I'd even say he'd probably even say a little bit of a mentor. And and uh Munger would say, This is sort of paraphrasing a quote um, from Munger, which is just show me the incentive system and I'll tell you what the outcome is going to be.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I would hundred percent agree with you. I I I think I think it is it is the structure we've set up. And so if I am a politician in America, I am rewarded if I can get one more vote than second place. And so that means if I'm somebody who wants to gain office, uh, I'm going to go with one of the two major parties. And because of the way districts are structured, I think it's, I want to say it's somewhere like 10% of districts are actually competitive. The remainder are generally safe or, uh, or relatively safe. And, uh, and and so you've got 90% of districts out there that are gerrymandered to a degree where my only fear is of somebody else in my party. And so you can bet I'm going to appeal to the base. And that's all I need to do. And so we have a House of Representatives that's packed with people who are party loyalists. So, and, and they're not going to get recorded or rewarded for compromise. They are rewarded for inaction. They're rewarded for uh, sticking it to the other party. And because that's what we demand as voters, because that's the system we've got, and so I, I think there is no option for the future of America but to go state by state and implement a system where um, where uh, where representatives to Congress specifically are allocated proportionately. And, and there's a couple reasons I say that. Number one, it's because the, the allocation of representatives is left up to the states. So what that means is that through rank choice voting and through state level election laws, you could set up a situation that says the, the, the congressional delegation of a state will reflect the, the popular vote to a certain percentage. So, for example, Jason, where you are in North Carolina. Yes, sir. Uh, right now, it's 75% Republican, 25% Democrat, congressional del- delegation. percent. 50%, it's 50-50 in terms of the popular vote. So, that means 50% Democrat, 50% Republican. And, and there are a number of ways to do this. Um, I think the the best one I've seen is, is the model Germany use, uses, which is what they do is they award what are called compensatory seats. And so, they effectively say, okay, well, these people won this district, but we're going to put X number of representatives in this party because that represents the popular vote. And so feasibly, you could get into a situation where it's like, let's just say again, we have North Carolina, it's gerrymandered to the hilt, and uh, it's a 50-50 vote. Well, you could say, okay, well, you have to lose the, uh, the Republicans have to cede 25% of those seats and whether they go to the people who got the lowest popular vote or whatever, they could do something to that effect. Um, but that can be solved on a state level. Um,
2: and would you, uh, would you want, does that extend to electoral votes for the presidency or no?
0: No, I wouldn't. So I would not want to touch those. I wouldn't want to touch the president. I think, I think the, the other thing I think about the presidency and the Senate specifically is the Senate, everybody's just got to suck it up. And look, I'm, anybody who's listened to this knows that I am certainly not a fan of Trump. And at this point, I'm definitely not allied with the Republican Party. However, everyone's just got to suck up the fact that the Senate was invented to do exactly what it's doing, which is provide a disproportionate representation for less populous states. So the larger states don't Walk all over them. Yeah, I guess um, that,
2: that, that's good because I that's that sort of how I, I there's something that makes me uneasy about a pure popular vote on everything nationally, where just the cities then just dictate everything that happens. Yeah. Oh but yeah. I, I don't think that that's a I don't think that's a healthy outcome either.
0: Not at all, and I think the electoral college too, um, is is valuable in the sense that you know no one would have given a shit about the Rust Belt if it weren't for Trump, right? That was a reliable Democratic win. But Trump went in with a campaign that spoke specifically to those people. He went in with a. I saw it right from the get go because I went to school out there. I saw it. What I saw right away is he's going to get the southern states because he's, you know, he's going to get the southern states because he's a Republican and all he has to do is do a little pandering to the religious right. And he's good. Uh, he's going to get a lot of the rural western states for the same re- reason reason but he honed in on the grievances of the rust belt and that turned the electoral yeah and that's so it. and so now what are we talking about you know
1: it was it was it was the media suspicion of the media and it was yep. jobs those two yep. I swear it's those two things religion that's maybe a distant third but jobs and and distrust of of the media
0: yeah who yeah who's paying attention to the working class of the industrial Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. And, know, and, and that
2: fits with like the way things tend to pull, right? I mean, you know, yeah. the, the top priorities for everybody is not religion as much as we yep. spend time talking about it. The top priorities yep. for everyone is healthcare for themselves and their family and,
1: uh, and the economy. Meaning right. Yeah. I understand where he's marks. coming from. I mean, he, he did make a couple of valid points. There's yeah. a, there's a, there's a truck driver here. Let me read a quote if I could. If that's okay. Yeah. This is from the, and this is, this is more to do with COVID. This is admittedly, this is more to do with COVID than the, than the Trump, you know, winning and everything. But the, the yeah. sentiment is, is the same um, credit to news and observer, which is a Raleigh newspaper. This is from a truck driver here. He says, honestly, I'm wondering if I'll even be able to come out of the hole because I do not have the, the water bill. Uh, but I have a light bill. That's trying to reach close to $3,000 said truck driver, Chadwick Bay I don't know if I'll even be able to pay any of the bills off. This is what the Rust Belt is faced with. So in, uh-huh. in swoops, some guy who is a billionaire, you could say possibly somebody to look up to. I mm-hmm. shudder to say that, but some people do. You know, lead he hey, he's leading by example. Um, yeah. And, and he's going to come in and fix all of our problems. He He's a straight talker. You can see how he won the election in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, I think all of that's accurate except uh, Trump being a billionaire.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I think this is, you know, when you look at the purpose of the United States, the purpose of the United States was to provide for the shared defense and prosperity of the country. So, as one unit, we can do more than as 50 independent states all running their own show. That's why they're states. Do you use the word state in any other country? You know, is there another country that 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 has the same concept of a sovereign state in a way within a greater state? You know, I can I can walk out onto my porch and light up a joint right now and a cop can drive by, do nothing. If I do that at your house, Jason, I'm in jail. You know? Oh, yeah. that's
1: Hopefully that'll change soon.
0: Yeah. You know, man, I dude, like at, like at this point. Give me a break. You know, but, but I think that the bottom line is we have like, we have malappropriated that duty, you know, we have, we, and, and what happens now is when people aren't being cared for, they get angry, they get fearful, and then they become susceptible to the types of messaging we have today. And in in the meantime, we have this enormous wealth that's been created, right? The last 20 years have created fantastic wealth and because of our tax system and because of our monetary system we have just given it to people who who were already well to do to begin with it is the perfect environment if you are Jeff Bezos it is the perfect environment if you are in tech or you are in biotech or you're in finance you're involved in moving that money around it is the par- it is a great time for you but the way we tax and the way we spend does not do anything to deliver to everybody else who's making civilization work, you know. And and for better or for worse, the folks who are probably the most hurt also believe this whole idea that if they just get a little, a little, if they just give them another tax cut, all that money is going to come down to them. And I, I just think we have totally misappropriated our wealth as a country. And, and I and it is my belief that if we do not fundamentally change the nature of how we send people to Congress, if we don't change that, and if we don't get a greater diversity of voices in, that's going to be the end of us. You know, that is going to be the end of us. That's
2: That kind of fits with my point about being sort of, uh, you know, turned off by both parties right um, yeah in a, in a time you know and i think i've said this i can't remember if i said this on the air or just offline with you dan but mm-hmm. i find it fascinating and, and not a sign of anything good that you know w- at a time when the parties cannot agree on literally almost anything right mm-hmm. we can't agree whether a mask should be worn, like right, mm-hmm. you know, to around this virus, and we're going to fight like tooth and nail over whether or not it is right. Mm-hmm. That we seem to implicitly just agree across the parties that there is no consequence to deficit spending. Mm-hmm. That there is no consequence to um, the dollar declining in value. Like there's no, like none of these things have any consequence. Yes. And that's, that's fascinating to me that we're a place where we think there's such a free lunch available. You know, when any, Mm -hmm. you know, every, every person who's, uh, you know, ever taken any economics class like the very first day they tell them there's no free lunch. And there's a lot of bunk in in neoclassical modern economics. But one thing that I can absolutely agree with is that there's, there's, there is no such thing as a free lunch. Um, So you can't, like this idea that, that, that it all can be that they can sort of rearrange the deck chairs, but that there's no consequence to, it's just how you spend the deficit, not whether or not there's a deficit. You know I mean? it's, it's like, it's an alarming. And and look, it's one thing to sort of say, like if the deficit we're talking about was like 1%, 2%, 3% or inside the nominal growth rate of the economy. But when you're talking about numbers that are now like 10, 15, 20% of the economy, and this is just like, yeah, we, we are trying a massive experiment that um, I'm, I'll be, you know, I'm, 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 I guess curious to see how it goes, but a little fearful about how it's going to end.
0: It is politically expedient to not tax. It is political expedient. It is politically expedient to engage in deficit spending, and it is politically expedient to overspend on the military. Um, and there is no consequence to not doing all of those because we can have all the things. There is one thing I want to get to, and because we're having fajitas, so I have to wrap it up in a bit. I like that you said you have fajitas, so you need to wrap it up. Oh, you, hey, you, you yeah, got, right. Jason, you have to keep that one in. OK, um, so there's one there is one final thing I wanted to send out there, which is I, I think anyone who's listened to this understands how urgent of an issue I think this is and how I think the house is the way to go. Um, like I said, the Electoral College, the Senate, they are designed to provide disproportional representation. That's what they're built to do. The House should be reflective of the popular vote, and it is not. And that is where the base of the party starts. There are more members of the House than there are in the Senate, and there are more members of the House than there are presidents of the United States. So if you reform the House, if you create an environment where moderates thrive, if you create an environment where multiple parties have votes and have a voice, um then that will trickle up believe it or not that will moderate the tone of everybody else because if i'm the president i don't want to lose the house and i am going to lose the house if i keep talking the nonsense that unfortunately uh, our current president is talking now and so that's why i am i have decided that over i've decided i i've 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 set the goal where me, you two, and everybody listening, we are going to work to make this the last decade. 2020 is the last decade the two major parties will have control over congressional redistricting. And by 2029, we will have significant reforms that introduce a proportional system of representation to the House. That is how we're going to change this. Here, here, Because those laws happen on the state level. It is much harder for the federal government to intervene, and it is much harder for the it's much harder for the parties to protect their interest. It is much easier for a grassroots movement to start, and so from now on, folks, you can let me know you're out there with the hashtag twenty twenty nine. I'm going to be using it with mine. I'm going to be using it on Twitter. I'm going to be using it on Facebook. Do the same. Let me know you're out there when you're sharing something related to this hashtag twenty. 29. This is the last decade this happens. The last. Before I go, I do want to say next week's guest dovetails very well with our discussion, which, which is I have Arjun Murthy, who's the founder of a company called The Factual. And what they've done is they've actually developed an algorithm that can determine the credibility of news sources and the partisan slant. And so you can actually go to the site thefactual.com, sign up for a news, sign up for their newsletter. And I've, I've been reading it a bit. It's super interesting. Um, but again, what they do is they're designed to really cut through the fog. So I'll be talking to him about kind of how they do it and and why this is important. And I think, especially given our conversation, there's never been a more important time for something like this than now.